facts, opinions, controversies, current events, technology, the arts. How they affect you, your family, your friends, or your business depends on your point of view. Now it's time for Point of View, a weekly forum for insight and information of importance to the Chicago area. Produced by the news department of WNUA 95.5 Chicago. Here's your host, Charlie Meyerson. Good morning. For this edition of Point of View, we are honored to welcome, I believe, the first Nobel Prize winner ever to join us here. It's Dr. Leon Letterman, an internationally renowned high-energy physicist, the Director Emeritus of the Fermi National Accelerator Laboratory in Batavia, west of Chicago, winner of the 1988 Nobel Prize in Physics for his discovery of the muon neutrino. And when we say high-energy physicist, we're not talking uh, only the particles Dr. Letterman has studied, but also the life he leads. Among the other roles that he plays or has played, he's the science advisor emeritus to the governor of Illinois, a founding trustee of the 10-and-a-half-year-old Illinois Math and Science Academy in Aurora, a three-year statewide residence public school for gifted students. He's chairman of the board of the Academy for Math and Science Teachers in Chicago, and he's here today, among other things, as a member of the National Academy of Sciences National Science Resources Center Advisory Board, which is out with a, a neat new book called Science for All Children, A Guide to Improving Elementary Science Education in Your School District. <sighs> That's pretty good. You left out uh, the, the guys who pay me. I'm a Prisker Professor of Science at the Illinois Institute of Technology. You and I have at least one thing in common. We both started out as chemistry majors. Of course, we went our separate ways after that. How did you... How I don't did know you where I went <laughs> wrong. <laughs> I don't think you did at all. How did you, how did you wind up, uh, as you are, one of the world's uh, most renowned physicists? Well, uh, when you were a chemistry major, you have to take some physics. Physics is the basis of chemistry, and I hope we get back to that, because that does influence... I should influence the way we teach in high schools, but... Uh, you take physics to <clears throat> learn the basis of chemistry. And uh, so when I took the physics, I met the kids who were physics majors. And I found that they were uh, very lively. Maybe it was the accident of uh, individuals, but uh, they were entrancing guys. They were imaginative. They played a much better class of basketball than the chemistry majors. And ba intramural basketball is very important. Um, that convinced me that maybe it would be more fun hanging out with, uh, with uh, physics people than with chemistry people. Besides, I was beginning to be bludgeoned by the smells in organic chemistry laboratory, <laughs> and the physics labs were pristine, you know. Oh, they have to be. <laughs> so it didn't smell as bad to That's, be a oh, physics no, major. No, nothing like that. Well, you touched on this. Let's talk about yeah. this, because I know this is we're talking about education and uh, of science, right, and, right. And, and you're concerned about the way science is taught not only in elementary schools, as we'll discuss later, but in high schools. It's, yeah. all, it's all backwards? It's all backwards, that's right. Some, somewhere around 100 years ago, some committee of, uh, of professionals got together and said, kids should study high school science in the following order, biology, chemistry, physics. And uh, the logic of that, as far as I could see, is alphabetical. <laughs> uh, now, the, in fairness, they, uh, they did think that physics requires a lot of math, you know, this thing that strikes terror and fear and loathing in most students, and therefore uh, one shouldn't start physics until one uh, was in command of a lot of math. Uh, 
But that's uh, not true either. The physics is full of concepts. In fact, little children, when they're negotiating their way in, a, in the new world in which they're growing up, they're only doing physics, right? They're lifting things, they're dropping them, studying how the, the velocity of fall, they're repeating Galileo's experiment, breaking things and studying the strength of materials. And, and a good thing they don't have to study biology and chemistry. They just study physics and they learn about the world through physics. And uh, that is, uh, I think, how students should learn. Besides, there's a hierarchy. I mean, what is chemistry? The thing about chemistry, it's how two atoms behave when they get close together. Will they combine, love, honor, and cherish each other until whatever else happens, uh, like hydrogen and oxygen? Should they form a molecule called water or shouldn't they? In order to understand that process, you have to understand what an atom is. To understand an atom, you have to know a fair amount of concepts in physics, like Newton's laws and electricity and magnetism and rotational motion and so on. So physics naturally underlies chemistry. And pedagogically, it's crazy to uh, not use what you learned. So if you do it in the right order, which of course is physics, chemistry, biology, then uh, you use the physics when you're studying chemistry. Therefore, you can't forget it. Even though you pass the exam, you're still learning the physics while you're doing chemistry from a different point of view, and that's good. Then when you take the creme de la creme, which is biology, you, and you know, you know that biology has something to do with DNA, right? Mm -hmm. Can you teach biology without DNA, without uh, <laughs> the gene structure? And that's molecules. So you can't do biology until you had a lot of chemistry. Uh, but the chemist, in his study of molecules, the chemistry teacher or her study of molecules, will prepare the student for the vibrant molecular biology uh, that kids should learn. So there is a hierarchy, and the math should thread in in a sensible way. And uh, we have gotten uh, maybe a dozen schools to try the, the reversed order, and some of them... Nationwide? Just a dozen schools? Well, we've been uh, nationwide. Uh, this is not easy. We've been uh, sending out email messages and been on internet, and we found uh, maybe 20 schools in the country uh, that have done it in the reverse order. They all speak to the educational power of the right right order. It's a wonderful way of of doing the science. And now uh, all we have to do is uh, get that other 15,422 high schools in the United States to do it in the right order, and we will have as a consequence of this. This is mind-blowing. This is for all kids. It's not for future scientists. This is for the people who will vote and will make decisions uh, on, on what happens to the future of this nation. And a science literate population is a dream and we must have it. The world is too dependent on science and technology to have our citizens being ignorant and fearful of science. Point of view on WNUA 95.5. Charlie Myerson here. Our honored guest is Nobel Prize winning physicist Leon Letterman. I know before his death, uh, science popularizer and astronomer Carl Sagan expressed deep, deep concern about uh, a real lack of science appreciation among the general public. Do you share his despair? Well, uh, I'm not sure appreciation is the right word. I mean, I think that uh, scientists in popularizing science, in trying to educate the public, raise the level of understanding of science take their chances because it's not clear that when citizens have a better grasp of the connections of science and technology what science can do what it can't do what its potential powers are what its weaknesses are when they know that it's not clear that they'll appreciate it 
they may say uh, plausibly, maybe we're doing too much science. Maybe we don't need a superconducting super collider <laughs> or some other widget or wadget. Uh, on the other hand, you take your chances. If we have a higher level of uh, scientific understanding, that's the important thing, then we will take our chances with whether people will think we're not doing enough science or we're doing too much science. Do you think science um, awareness among the public is is declining, and if so, oh, dangerously? Oh, yes. Uh, there's no question but that our level uh, has uh, uh, depreciated. In part, it's because science is advancing in leaps and bounds. Uh, both our uh, fundamental knowledge of the physical and biological universe is exploding, and the technology that comes out of science, uh, which is changing our lives. We're, we're in a in the, this famous uh, bridge to the 21st century has a very high toll. We're coming into an era in which uh, we're gonna have to change our constitution. It's not only life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, it's access to knowledge, which is going to be crucial if you want to live a fulfilling and reasonably uh, productive life. Uh, cloning, uh, DNA in the courtrooms, uh, look at the problems of uh, technology imposing itself on daily lives everywhere you look, internet. Uh, so many examples in which the citizens are going to have to feel more at ease. Uh, right now, I think too many of us are discombobulated by the advances, and they say, why don't they slow down a little bit? But this is a global thing, and we can't slow down without falling behind. Point of view on WNUA 95.5. Our guest is Nobel Prize winner, physicist Leon Letterman. I mentioned to a sixth grade teacher, uh, I know that uh, you were coming to our studios, and he said, oh, I, I've, I've taught a unit on atoms for the last few years, and, and this is a quote, we always finish with Leon Letterman's hypothesis about the Higgs boson, the God particle, as I think you've called it. Clue our audience yeah, that, in. What, well, what are we talking about here? It's a best-selling paperback for eleven ninety-five in your neighborhood bookstore. <laughs> <laughs> but it's... Uh, it's a kind of a whimsical history of particle physics, starting with the ancient Greeks, uh, with that uh, wise man Democritus in 400 BC, and proceeding to the discovery of the top quark at Fermilab, which happened uh, a couple of years ago. And uh, on your watch, uh, on my watch, but uh, underneath uh, uh, the the current uh, obsession with particle physicists is to finish this thing. Let's decide once and for all how the universe works, and then we can stop spending these vast sums of money and go on and do something else. <laughs> but we have a few problems open, and one of them is, is uh, has this rubric, it's called uh, the Higgs boson, and when I thought I would name my book the Higgs boson, my money-grubbing editor said, no, 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 <laughs> we've got to give it a, a sexier name, and he came up with a god particle. Well, who am I to argue with a uh, Greedy. Probably hasn't editors. heard sales. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so this would be the underlying, the, 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 the well, building block of the universe. At the moment, it's, it's the, <clears throat> although there are many, many things to do in particle physics, and if you uh, go out to Fermilab and, uh, and enjoy a visit out there, and 50,000 people a year come out and visit us. And, and it's open to the public. It's open to the public. You can bicycle in or roller skate in or even drive in. Uh, but uh, you'll see that the experiments going on are a variety of very fascinating things. But underlying this is the sort of numero uno problem, obsession we have, is a quest for simplicity. We believe that the universe can be explained by some concept, perhaps a mathematical formula, but you can also translate it into English or any other language you like. So simple, so startlingly simple 
and clear that you can put it on a T-shirt and uh, two or three uh, symbols. We haven't gotten there yet, and what we see looks rather complicated. But uh, the new idea is that between us and the pristine, crystalline simplicity of the nature of how the universe works, there is a barrier, and we call that barrier the Higgs field. It's like uh, 16 uh, plastic shower curtains between you and a uh, flashlight bulb. <clears throat> Instead of seeing that one point of light, you see, oh God, a thousand points of light? Yeah. <laughs> it's diffused Sorry for by that the, metaphor. Yeah, no, that's diffused, <laughs> by, <laughs> diffused by all the, all the, all the screens. Uh, and that's the Higgs field, and we want to confront the Higgs field. And uh, the chance of us uh, succeeding at Fermilab are very small because the Higgs field requires a huge amount of energy. So we had this incredibly stupid idea of building a machine somewhere in Texas called a superconducting super, super, super collider, collider which we the, wanted here for even Illinois. to say it. I know that was that uh, was the big drive to to, ha to build that here in in the Chicago area and, right. and well, Texas won built in Texas yeah, now. It's not uh, happening anywhere in this country. We're, we're putting our hopes on the, our European friends. Uh, they have something under construction, which may work. May Point of view on WNUA 95.5. Our guest is uh, Nobel Prize winner Leon Letterman. How, how are we doing in, in science education at the grade school level? Well, we're not doing very well. Uh, there was uh, recently something called the Third International Study of Students. Uh, this was an, a very thorough, extremely uh, well-thought-out set of tests given to kids in uh, 40 or 50 nations around the world. Uh, and uh, the reports have just come out on eighth graders. And the uh, United States is uh, something like uh, 37th or 42nd or uh, anyway, way down there uh, uh, among the uh, more uh, primitive, so-called primitive countries. We're not doing well, both in math and in science. After all, we are the major superpower. We are the primary technological scientific uh, nation in the world, or so we'd like to think. But as far as educating our students, uh, we're not doing ver well at all, and I think when the uh, when the uh, sixth grade, or I think the next uh, session will be high school kids and fourth grade students, when those studies come out, I think we'll confirm the fact that we are not teaching math and science properly to primary school. And kindergarten's the place to start, even pre-kindergarten. Well, let's talk about this. Again, uh, folks, the book, and we'll tell you more about it and how to get it, uh, is Science for All Children, published by the National Academy of Sciences. Um, what concrete steps can parents, or for that matter, teachers uh, in our audience, do to, <coughs> to improve or lobby for improvement in science education well, in, in grade schools? good point. I think you have to take the long-range point of view. You know, nothing, even though it's nice rhetoric, nothing much is going to happen by the year 2000, because before you turn around, it's here. We have to train our teachers better in math and science, and the teachers' colleges are not doing it. And I think the parents have to help the teachers to get that training. The budget in the city of Chicago for professional enhancement of teachers is uh, less than a tenth of a percent. Just of the school's budget. Of the school budget. In Japan, it's 50%. Teachers in Japan spend half their time becoming better teachers, filling in on their gaps in what they understand. and and in the pedagogy. And the, the pedagogy for how children learn math and science and other subjects is mushrooming as uh, neuro uh, uh, 
physiologists and computer scientists and linguists and so on uh, know more and more about how children learn. So there's a wonderful connection between how children learn and the way, new ways of teaching math and science. They have buzzwords. They're in this book you mentioned, Science for All Children. They're hands-on, kids learning by uh, collaborating with one another. Uh, no lectures. The teacher is there and walking up and down. The kids are clustered around tables doing various kinds of experiments, uh, learning, being familiar with how science develops, not only the names of the planets, uh, and uh, memorizing vast biological terms, which you quickly forget. I did. You did, and so <laughs> did I. Uh, but learning how science works. What, what, what do you have to do to settle a dispute between uh, two scientists or two kids about how something works? I wasn't aware of it, but there's, I mean, there's apparently a dispute uh, among groups of educators now as to whether the scientific method should be emphasized in, in grade schools or whether you know, teaching of the hard science, the facts should be emphasized. Yeah, well, I think there's a, there has to be a balance. You have to do both. Kids cannot graduate from uh, primary school or even secondary school without knowing facts. So the idea that uh, facts are boring or facts are turned off uh, is not correct either. I think there's a balance. And uh, our own feeling is that the process of science is something that uh, kids will take to in kindergarten, first grade, and earliest grades. Uh, there, they want to know how to find out things. And so you give them the full vent of finding out things, and the finding out things is play and appealing to children. And so they take to this. It's pleasure. And some of our Chicago schools that we're working with, uh, the teacher will restore order by saying, if you kids don't settle down, we won't do science. And the kids sit up straight, and <laughs> they want to do science. It's uh, Whereas uh, if the teacher is... Uh, is more standard and has not had the confidence level built in the teacher about science and math, then science and math can become drudgeries. Uh, I think professional development, to go back to your question as to what parents can do, is to help the teachers seek a reasonable budget. Now, 50% is unrealistic, a tenth of a percent is much too low, somewhere I would think uh, of uh, 5 to 10% of the time of teachers ought to be spent in becoming better teachers. That would be a tremendous improvement, and it would show up. It would show up in much better instruction and kids that are more confident, kids that enjoy school better, kids that will stay in school and not be tempted by the streets. Uh, you've got to make school interesting. What uh, physical attributes or improvements do you think uh, parents or teachers or administrators should, should be looking for in their schools? Those, you know, building new schools or remodeling old schools? Well, I guess there's a set of priorities. <clears throat> and, and my feeling is the preparation of the teacher is the first priority. A teacher who knows uh, the subject, who uh, has a love of children, and as so many of these teachers do have, and has a, a self-confidence in these subjects, is the first priority. They can operate even in crumbling school buildings, uh, which of course is another problem. Uh, then they need equipment. They need the laboratories. They need the computer. Uh, maybe even uh, three or four computers in a classroom. Uh, they need the, the pencil and paper, and they need the kits, uh, which are very simple science kits, which kids can For instance, operate what's with. It, what kind of kits are we talking about? Well, we're talking about very simple things. We're talking about uh, uh, you know, rulers and tape measures and uh, uh, ways of recording data. And with, uh, uh, if the teacher wants the kids to study 
the process of soap bubbles. You need to have some detergent and some water, and the kids will play and, and blow bubbles. And then maybe you want some stopwatches so you can catch a bubble in a little wire hoop and uh, start the watch. And when the bubble breaks, you stop the watch and you record, you know, three seconds, five seconds, and then you do. So we're not grass. talking about a lot of money here. Well, when you, when you have 400,000 kids, it adds up. So, uh, <laughs> so it's uh, not a lot of money per kid, absolutely right, uh, but it, uh, it adds up. And as I said, teachers need some time. They need time to talk to one another and to exchange uh, uh, information and experiences and to get on Internet and to get on the network so that schools can talk to schools. These are the highest priorities for me. Fixing the buildings is a high priority. Making the streets safer is a high. These are all good things, and you have to put them in some order. Uh, but don't wait for someone to come up with a solution to all the problems at once. Uh, do what you can do. And the parents, first of all, parents can have books in their own homes. And uh, a little less TV and a little more selection on the TV and a little more in the reading business. And uh, that takes some parental discipline, some examples, reading the children. All of these things are part of the game. Our guest on Point of View, WNUA 95.5, Nobel Prize-winning physicist Leon Letterman. Uh, one of your babies, of course, has been the, uh, the Academy for Teachers here in Chicago. Tell us how that's doing. Well, <clears throat> we've been on the air now for seven years, uh, taking some of the more difficult schools in Chicago. We do a whole school. We, uh, we uh, talk to the principal, and we have all the teachers come to us, and we get the parents involved. It's a kind of a systemic uh, process in the schools. Uh, we've now uh, been upwards of 70 schools have been with us and we find the following results. If a school has stays with us for three years. Sends its teachers to you sends its teachers so they can to learn us, to be better teachers of math and science. With the teachers over a period of three years and maybe four is even better. Uh, it's expensive. Uh, probably we spend about $3,000 per teacher per year uh, for three or four years. It's, uh, but uh, we're beginning to see fantastic, in my opinion, results, unique results, as the kids begin to respond to the better quality of teaching of math and science. We see on the statewide uh, standardized tests, our schools, uh, which started out way below the state average, are rapidly beginning to catch up with the state average. Now we have four, probably five years of, exp of data on this and we think our process works and it isn't a very magical process it's staying with the teacher uh, giving the teacher the benefit of all this new cognition all the study of how children learn the kits the uh, hands-on technology and experience and staying with the teacher in math and in science and in the operation of computers uh, the teachers begin to respond the school responds and things start to happen if you want results next week or next month or even next year, you're probably going to be counterproductive. You're going to drive the schools into a frenzy of desperation, which usually doesn't add up to anything. But if you're patient and you realize the, the depth of the problem, you can be successful. We can have num Chicago being the best school system in the nation if we uh, understood that importance of the professional development of teachers. As uh, one of, if not the, founding father fathers of the Illinois Math and Science Academy in Aurora, now ten and a half years old, how's that doing, in your estimation? Well, that, that can't, that's a no-fail, that's a, that's a no-brainer. I mean, if you take uh, some of the brightest kids in Illinois, 
uh, put them together uh, with one another, uh, make sure that they have instruction for at least 23 out of the 24 hours of the day by putting computers in their dormitories and, uh, and then provide them with the best teachers you can, you can find, how can you lose? And uh, the Illinois Math Science Academy is arguably the best high school in the United States of America. Closing thoughts? I think that, uh, uh, again, we're, uh, let me mention the 21st century. That seems to be something on everybody's mind. Uh, it's a new world, and in this new world, science, whether we like it or not, is going to play a dominant influence, and it gives us the possibilities of vast improvements in our health, in our wealth, and in our wisdom, if we do it right. Uh, pure technology without wisdom is empty and may be counterproductive. Uh, so it behooves the citizens of this state and, and Chicago and everyone else to uh, begin to be aware and raise the level of our understanding of science so we can control it for the benefit of the citizens. Our guest on Point of View on WNUA 95.5, and what an honor it's been to have you here, has been Nobel Prize-winning physicist Leon Letterman. For more information on the book Science for All Children, call the National Academy of Sciences at 1-800-624-6242. That's 1-800-624-6242. Or if you'd like to pay a visit to Dr. Letterman's stomping grounds out at Fermi Lab in Batavia, open to the public. The number to call is 630-840-3351. That's 630-840-3351. Or as always, you can email us for information, News at aol.com. I'm Charlie Meyerson. Thanks for joining us. This has been Point of View, a weekly forum for insight and information of importance to the Chicago area. The views expressed are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of WNUA 95.5 or Evergreen Media Corporation. If you have any comments or questions, send them to WNUA News, Suite 300, 444 North Michigan, Chicago 60611. Our email address is wnuanews at aol.com. Point of View is an exclusive presentation of the news department of WNUA 95.5, Chicago.